Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. Hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden, the Well-Endowed podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check them out right now and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Final chapter. We did it! It uh, always feels good to wrap another book. Yeah. I mean, I might be speaking a little too soon. We still have one more episode left on Screams from the Void, but it it feels good to reach the end. Yeah, but we don't have to read anything to do that next episode, because this is the last chapter of the book. Yes. Right? So we have completed a book. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Means we have to get a new book. Well, yeah. And we will. Yeah. At some point. Well, soon. This week. Yes. Because... <laughs> We need to announce it next week. Yes. Yeah. At the time that you are, in fact, listening to this episode, we will presumably have obtained the next novel. Oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that will, of course, be announced next week. But uh, right now, we still do have this book to to finish up, and that includes both this final chapter and then the recap next week before we uh, just basically dive right into a new one. Yeah. So, good times. Look at us go. We're over 250 episodes. That's amazing. Um, On that note, I did switch us to a new podcasting service, and I think some of our older episodes might have disappeared. Oh, dear. Uh, So, I'm going to look into that and see if I can't get that rectified uh, so that you can go back and listen to our our, our much less uh, polished earlier episodes. But, um, yeah. We, we have some previous books that you might want to check out. So. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'd, I'd like those to be available. So uh, I will look into that. Hopefully that will get fixed. Yes. In uh, in the nearish future. Uh, in the meantime, though, I guess we'll just dive right in with a recap of our previous chapter, which was, of course, chapter 22, in which Reyna begins creating a deadly booby trap in the greenhouse. Uh, yes, a very elaborate, uh, difficult, exhausting to make trap. Exhausting <laughs> enough that she ends up falling asleep and wakes up with a gun pointed in her face. And that is how we find the situation as we get into chapter 23 of Screams from the Void by Anne Tibbetts. So Raina is initially like, how did you get out of the dehumidifying chamber. And Morvin confirms one of our suspicions from last chapter, which was that he's just stronger than the door. Yeah, he just brute strength his way out of there. Yeah, Reyna grossly overestimated how strong the door was. He was able to get a chair out of the computer room and use it for leverage and pry the door open. Yeah, which she slept through. I, yeah, she was very tired. And That's, I mean, wow. the greenhouse we've established is like the entire bottom deck. Oh, yeah, it's huge. She we, could we have been that. she could have been quite a ways away, far enough away that she wouldn't have noticed the clamor. And then he could have spent several, like she was down for 40 minutes. He could have spent 20, 30 of that looking for her in the greenhouse before finding her. And indeed confirms initially he thought she might be dead. 
Yeah, that's true that the Kepler might have gotten her. Because she was just lying there unconscious yeah. against the wall. <laughs> so his initial thought was like, oh, shoot, the alien got her. But then she stirred and uh, he pulled up the gun and pointed it at her. Morvin looks terrible. Yeah, he is swollen and red and gross. Like he is a red Michelin man. Oh, It is yeah. real bad. He is in terrible shape. And he's like, so you've been building this trap. Tell me what exactly you've got going on. And she's like, I don't think I should tell you that because you're just going to kill me. And he's like, well, I'll kill you if you don't. So, Well, he's going to kill her if she does and kill her if she doesn't. So why? what incentive does she have to be of any helpful use to him? Yeah, Reyna's plan here basically boils down to, I need to keep Morvan talking so that I can think of something to do. And it more or less succeeds, actually, for the first little bit. She does keep him talking because Morvan, in spite of everything up to this point, actually does feel a tiny little twinge of regret that it's come to this point. Enough that he wants to make her aware of that fact. Even here in the end, he wants her to know, hey, you know, I did like you. I wish I you don't... could hear the sound of my eyes yeah. rolling right out loud. I don't want to do this. I have to do this, Rain. You, oh. you understand that this is something that has to happen. It's not because I want it to happen. It makes me want to throw up. But the good news is that because he needs to impress this on her, it buys her some time. <laughs> Further to that, because she keeps him talking, he lets slip some very critically vital information. <laughs> um, because he points out, like, I, I can see that you've been working on the sprinklers. You've done something with the remote, I think, for the door. Also, I heard an alarm go off earlier. What was that about? And Reyna's like, wait, you heard an alarm go off? <laughs> so now Reyna can put two and two together, which Morvin cannot do. Reyna's like, oh, no. The Kepler is here. Yeah. I That's what that alarm was. Basically, I set up a bunch of tin cans by the... <laughs> yeah, basically. By the vent so that if the Kepler came through, it would make some noise and I'd be alerted that it was in the room. Morvin's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, shut up, you idiot. Shut up, the Kepler is here somewhere. And she starts looking around and sure enough, she spots the injured Kepler the, the hiding, four, quote unquote. Yeah, the four yellow eyes and this like gross purple stump. Yeah. Where it had its, its hand cut off. And it's right behind Morvin. Of course it is. And she's like, it's, it's right behind you. And he's like, I'm not going to fall for the oldest trick in the of book. Of course he doesn't believe her. Because it is the <laughs> oldest trick in the book. But the, the Kepler is there and is poised to pounce. And when it does, she dives and Morvin takes a shot and misses. And she turns on the water spout. And this creates enough of a distraction that she's able to scramble away. She's basically created some chaos. Yeah. Because instantly, because all of the sprinkler heads were taken off. Yeah, instantly, so now it's just it's gushing just, water. Yeah. It's just flood. She's able to kind of scramble away while Morvin and the Kepler briefly skirmish with one another. Yeah, except we all know that the Kepler's not going to attack Morvin. And it doesn't. It, I mean, it initially pounces on him, but then it clearly loses interest in him almost immediately. Because he's got the gross safety slime on him. And she notes that the Kepler is almost immediately chasing after her. Now we're in a situation where she is trying to get away from both Morvin and the Kepler simultaneously. Yeah. We were wondering who the last boss of the book was going to be, and it turns out both of them at the same time. That's horrible. It is a Morvin-Kepler tag team, <laughs> because while she's trying to get to the door and away from the Kepler, Morvin starts taking shots at her, and he does manage to take out her leg. It's a, it's, a it's flesh a, wound. It's a flesh wound. But it's a painful flesh wound well, yeah. that, that drops her and makes it hard for her to stand. She's been shot in the leg! Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not fatal, but she's not running anymore. Morvin 
manages to close the distance faster than the Kepler, partly because he's got a ranged weapon. And she's desperately trying to scramble towards the door because she knows if she turns on the trap, it's going to fry everybody in the room. Yeah, including, including her. herself. So she needs out. Morvin starts like squaring up a, a fatal shot on her after she doesn't stop after his few warning shots. I think some of them were warning shots. I think some of them were just misses. He doesn't get off the fatal shot. Thank goodness. Because just as he's squaring up that shot, a crazed Pollux comes screaming out of the bushes <laughs> like a deranged Tarzan. Like a crazy like jungle warrior. And splits open his skull like an overripe melon with a mattock, which is a, basically a, a kind of a pickaxe almost. Yeah. I didn't know what it was, and Scott showed me a picture, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, that would that would do the job fairly well. It is a gardening tool, but it's kind of like a pickaxe, and it just it just squishes his brains. And Morvin is instantly dead. Well, yes, and this is where things go a little bit off the rails, uh, because Pollux does not stop. No. She keeps going. She, she keep, makes sure that he is well and truly dead. She keeps going to the point where Reyna has, has to, to stop. Yeah, Reyna has to look away. <laughs> she keeps going to the point where there was a brief moment where it seemed like the Kepler had stopped and was like, what is happening? <laughs> because the, the Kepler did not pounce on Reyna in that time. <laughs> no, it does, however, we were all like, what is happening over here? Yeah, it does, however, wheel on her and go to attack her. And then Pollux just like pulls the mattock out of the mound of ground beef that was- And or floor that she has made it through to. Yeah, that was Morvin and hurls it with astonishing precision. Oh, she is running Kepler. on pure adrenaline. This woman is invincible right now. The Kepler is stunned long enough that Pollux manages to sprint past and grab Reyna, and the two of them make a mad, desperate dash, sliding to the door, basically, <laughs> on the wet ground. Right. And Reyna hits the button just before they hit the threshold, so they both do get electrocuted. But not, like, fatally. dead. Yes. Yeah. They're, um, like, they're zapped, but not fried. And they make it out the door, and Pollux jumps up and seals the door shut, and everything in the greenhouse is just fried. Oh, yeah. Everything. For, like, beyond recognition. Two years worth of valuable plant research is instantly destroyed. Uh, the Kepler is fried to a burnt little cinder, and yeah. Morvin's remains are probably charcoal as well. Uh, this is why I'm glad I was reading text on a page and not watching images on a screen, because the description of what was left behind, like the the Kepler's eyes were described as like popping like popcorn. And I was like, I don't want to picture that. I don't want my brain to see that. It sounds horrible. Yeah, it's uh, definitely images that will stick with Reyna for the rest of her life. Oh yeah, trauma, I'm sure. Um, then we cut to the final flashback, the first day on the ship, where the captain is kind of giving everybody their initial orders and welcome, welcome quote unquote mm. to the ship. And already, like, you can tell there's a lot of tension on the ship, which Reyna doesn't necessarily pick up on because she's still got, like, the slight veneer of optimism that this is going to be an okay time. Yeah. This is her first mission. She's going to impress everybody. There's this super hot guy. Not everybody's going to be a jerk. There's this super hot guy who hits on her almost immediately. Ugh. Yeah. And I think it's an indication of just how sharply things probably went downhill because the captain comes in with this air of authority, right? I mean, he is the this, captain. This stern veneer. But then we know that he's not going to do jack about anything. It's true. Right? Because he, he brushes the fraternization under the carpet. He basically tells them to, like, let's just not talk about the fact that one of my ensigns beat another one of my ensigns. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it. 
So he's got this veneer of like, look, I'll just pose really authoritative and that'll keep everybody in line and then I won't have to worry about anything. Uh, you can actually see, because we have the, the benefit of the hindsight of that, you yes. can see that in action in that scene. Oh, 100%. Because he makes this stern proclamation that he's not going to take any guff and Avram immediately like chortles at that and the captain just ignores it. And that's right oh, there. Yep, right there. Him immediately right there. not doing anything about somebody challenging it. Like, uh, But we do get one final little piece of Tamsin and Avram, which is nice because they're is both nice. nice. Yes. Well, back when they were still alive, sad. Back when they were both still alive, yeah. And then we cut back to the present and a sickly, possibly dying Pollux is sitting in the flight deck with Reyna, who is now effectively by default captain of the ship. I guess. And is sending out a final distress code, alien style. <laughs> all, of, all of the rest of the crew are dead. The alien biological has been contained and destroyed. We need help. Please come. And she's like, God, it could be months before somebody gets back to us. Mm -hmm. We're way off in the boondocks. Like, there could be no one for light years. Uh, but luckily, a cargo ship gets back to them. Yeah. And is like, we're we're on our way. <laughs> and then she sobs. Yeah. Reyna real realizes that her career might well and truly be over. And that there might be, as she had previously speculated, holy hell to pay that they destroyed all the plant samples. But at the very least, she's alive. And Pollux will probably survive. And that's something. That's something. And the rest can be dealt with tomorrow. <laughs> and to be entirely honest with you, the Space Corps does not sound like a great place to work anyway. Nah, she's probably better off finding a job somewhere else. Yes. Get a job. Like, start her own shop and actually build fantastic machines and sell them <laughs> to make spacecraft better. Sure. <laughs> like... And then she doesn't have to deal with jerks like Osric or be in the Space Corps. Blech. And that's the end of the novel. Yeah, and that's where it stops. Rescue is on the way. Presumably there will be some manner of inquest into what happened. Probably. Couple of dangling threads that I would have liked closure on. Fair. Like the safety slime. Was Pollux actually okay? Yeah, she survived this Kepler, but is the horrible rash going to take her? What is it? Why did it keep the Kepler at bay? The uncertain future. I, I might have liked an answer for that, too. I'll admit. Here's the thing. This is where you get into the, and bear with me because I'm tiptoeing a little bit into what might be something worth discussing next episode. But I'll just say, this is where the difference between horror and science fiction is stark. Science fiction likes answers. Horror likes ambiguity. And so when you have a sci-fi horror, there's this gray overlap where sometimes you kind of have to sacrifice one for the other. Yeah. You either have to explain the thing too much and then it becomes less horrifying. Or not at all. And it becomes less science fiction-y. They're two genres that taste great together. They're peanut butter and chocolate. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> it's just that this is where the differences in the genre are stark. The problem is the safety slime and horrible rash aren't part of the horror. They kind of are, though. They weren't the scary part. Not Alex has a rash. That's unfortunate, but it saves her from the Kepler. Well, why does it do that? That doesn't take away from the fact that the Kepler is very scary. We don't even know what the Kepler's original purpose was, because again, I had posited maybe it was an alien bioweapon. Yeah, right. We don't, we don't know, know for sure because we never get the answer to that. So. See, and I'm okay with not having the answer to that part, and I'm not sure why. I don't understand the psychology of that. I do want to know about the weird slimy rash. I think that's mostly because you're invested in Pollux and want to know if she's okay. I do want to know she's okay. It's nice to have more than one survivor. This actually loops me around to one slight thing that I had, which was 
I wish that we had had more time with Pollux or less time with Pollux. Full disclosure, I read the book last night after Scott did. Yes. Right? Just just the way the schedule worked out this week. And when I sat down to read the chapter, I asked Scott, without spoilers, obviously, what he thought. And you told me the same thing yeah. just now. You kind of wish that we had had more time with Pollux. And when I got to the end of the chapter, I have to say I agree with you very much with the more time with her part. Yeah. And I, I refined that since I had mentioned it to you last night because I had thought of it more. Mm-hmm. And I could have also gone the other way with less time with Pollux. And again, this maybe tiptoes into stru- book structure stuff, which we should discuss next chapter, but I'm I'm fine discussing it here. I feel like we didn't get enough time with Pollux for her to be the secondary protagonist. I feel like there could have been one, maybe two more chapters where we're in her head because there were broad stretches of the book where she's just not there. Yeah. And so I I feel like we didn't get enough time for her to develop as a proper secondary protagonist. The other option, though, would have been to just make her not a point of view character and to keep her in the background. And then her surviving becomes much more surprising because I knew she had survived because she's a point of view character. Yeah. And her story had not ended. Well, but if like... but if she was a secondary character and we never got in her head, then her having survived to the end would have been much more surprising and been like, oh, but there were the clues still there. Like, oh, it looked like maybe she survived in the greenhouse. Somebody has ransacked the tools. The clues that she'd survived and then her attacking Morvan would have been like a yeah moment because it would have been a surprise. Not to be super critical of Ann Tibbetts as a writer. I'm, I I really enjoyed the book. It's just that with Pollux's character, I feel like there could have been more. A yeah. little bit more. I wanted a little bit more. I, I talk <clears throat> about this all the time. The difference between stopping and ending, right? Pollux's story has just sort of stopped. Where I would have preferred it to have ended. Whereas Raina's story ended. Yeah. yeah. There were even, You don't even have to make the book longer, I don't think. Again, I realize we're treading into territory, but we are talking about it as an ending. Yes. Right? So I'm okay with it. We've gotten to the end now, and there's this lack of Pollux. You you didn't get closure with Pollux, and that's what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I get it. I would have preferred more closure, because there were some times in the book where we had a lot of Reyna that almost felt like filler. Like, it, it wasn't. It wasn't mindless nothing, right? It was all pointed and uh, relevant, but... I feel like we could have trimmed back a little bit of Reyna to get a little more Pollux without bloating the story. Fair. And again, like even I was suggesting maybe a couple more chapters with Pollux, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's just one or two Reyna chapters could have been Pollux chapters or could have had Pollux parts in them. Yeah. A little like this book is full of those interstitial bits, right? Flashbacks and, you know, cut twos and, and all of that. We could have had one or two more of Pollux. To bring her up to being a, a more of a full secondary protagonist. Yeah. Again, I'm not trying to suggest that I did not enjoy this book a no, lot. No, 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 not at all. I really did. We're allowed to discuss it. And we're, and we're allowed to have criticisms of things that we love. Yeah, exactly. But I think maybe that's where we should put a lid on it. Probably. At risk of moving into full book club yeah. stuff. So. As endings go, it almost felt like homage to Alien. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I would say it's pretty clearly homage to Alien. There's a lot of alien DNA in this book, and you can tell that it's clearly an inspiration. Well, as opposed to, yeah. like, a copycat or... Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not trying to suggest it's a ripoff. Yeah, exactly. No. it. This th- That's what I'm trying to say, is that it felt like homage as opposed to, well, I'll just do what they did, because that was a great story. No, no. Right? It felt like it was good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, generally, though, you liked the ending? It was okay. I 
liked the ending. Here's here's my problem with endings is we already know this about me. If you've yeah. been listening to any of our other books, I like everything tied up in a nice, pretty little bow, complete and finished and done. Right. So having a couple of unanswered questions and a couple of loose ends. Eh. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is one of those areas where horror lives in ambiguity. It's not a clean ending. There is some question what happens next. The horror might not be fully done or there might be repercussions. But the important part is that the story that Reyna had on the ship has come to its end. Yes. I don't even know necessarily that I would want a sequel to this book because I think it wraps itself up well enough that I'm like, I'm good. If there was a sequel to the book, I'd probably read it. Because uh, the sequel I... to the book would be the fact that there's a whole other space pod of of scary Kepler no. floating out in space and a cargo ship on its way to this ship. Look, I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to be a dead space sequel where it <laughs> picks up right where the first one left off. What I'm suggesting is if Antibits wrote another book in this world, I might read it. Oh, okay. Not necessarily that it needs to continue the story of Reyna and or Pollux. Because I think their stories are adequately finished, personally. But again, we're getting into book club territory. Yes, we, need we to should stop. stop. We, we need stop. to stop. Yeah. And that is the next episode is going to be the full book club episode. There's no chapter to queue up. There's no chapter to read because we're done. We're just going to go do a full analysis. Nita will come up with some thoughtful questions, as she always does. And then pitch them at me and make me think about the book. <laughs> How dare I? And then we will probably play her favorite game. <gasps> make that movie? Where we make the movie adaptation. <clears throat> and... Uh, come up with uh, some fun casting and some some ideas for how we would turn it into a film. So hopefully that is interesting to you. Um, and we'll try not to make it a super long episode, which frequently happens with, with the uh, full analysis episodes. And of course, we will announce our next novel. And then the following week, we'll be diving right into that. So Yeah, and, as soon as we've picked our next novel. Yeah, uh, but we, we did have that Twitter poll. Uh, so we do have kind of some genre guidelines to go on. And we'll be uh, looking there cool. for our next novel. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, we will turn things over to, once again, Alberta Blue Cross, who hopefully still exists in the future <laughs> so that Reyna and Pollux can get the medical attention they both need, <laughs> having been shot and bloated with alien slime. I think you're confusing health insurance with hospital care. Yeah, fair enough. They, they would certainly get the hospital care they need, but it... So they don't rack up terrible bills doing it. Okay, that's Hopefully okay. an equivalent of Alberta Blue Cross exists in the future to help them out. Anyway, here we go. Alberta Blue Cross. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device. That makes it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Alberta Blue Cross, still supporting our podcast. Here in Alberta. Yeah. You can find out more information about Alberta Blue Cross and all of the other sponsors of the network right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, you'll find all the other member podcasts. Myriad other podcasts. You can find them on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, you'll probably be able to give us a little rating and review. It would be appreciated. You can reach out to us on social media. Yes, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Goodreads. And we are at The Read Along. For most of those. Yeah, you can also send us an email. Absolutely. Send it to 
thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Get your wine and your snacks. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 